Make It Right, the manufacturing podcast. Did you know that it is likely that the first disposable diaper was invented during the Second World War because cotton was a strategic material? So in 1942, a Swedish company created an absorbent square of crepe cellulose tissue that was placed in a baby's rubber pant. Then in 1948, Johnson & Johnson created the first mass market disposable diaper in the U.S. And in 1961, Procter & Gamble followed by launching Pampers. Then 20 years later in 1981, the introduction of the super absorbent polymers reduced the diaper size by 50%. And since that time, the advancements have continued. Welcome to the Make It Right podcast. I'm Janet Eastman. And this week on the show, we're looking at the disposable diaper industry with two people who have worked in it for the last few decades. I'm pleased to have diaper industry consultant Carlos Riche on the show again, as well as manufacturing leadership consultant Kevin Snook. So gentlemen, Welcome to the Make It Right podcast. Thank you, Janet. Thank Carl you, Janet. Thank you. Nice very, very good to see you both again, Carlos. It's been a while, so uh, I see that you're surviving COVID. Yeah, I'm trying to keep myself safe. Yeah. That's great. I love talking to you about the diaper industry because I always learn so much about something that, to me, has just always been there. So this industry has constantly been changing. Tell me some of the real key highlights that you have seen over your career, which spans some 30 plus years. Well, yeah. Uh, well, I've seen a lot in the last uh, 36 years or so. I, I started in 1984, and you did mention a few of them, which were actually the, the critical ones, like uh, during the 80s, the, the uh, use of the super absorbent. Uh, then we had leg crops, which were helping to avoid leakage to the legs, uh, the use of waste elastic, uh, the introduction of pants, of course, also during the 90s. Uh, then, I don't know if you remember, we have any super high compressed diapers that were impossible to get out from the bags. You have to destroy the bags. And then it was replaced with the thinner, less compressed bags. Uh, uh, the, the change on the, you remember the, 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 the claims printed all over the box, the, the, the bag, you, you couldn't read. I mean, so many things happening, okay? Today, now we see minimalistic bags with uh, only having the name of the brand and nothing else. There's no claims, no descriptions. So, uh, yes, a lot of things have happened, uh, but they're very interesting changes. So, you know, like I was talking that there was uh, Johnson & Johnson had their first disposable diaper, then along came Pampers. How many diaper makers are there now in this industry? Oh, hundreds, hundreds. And, and you, you go into specific countries like in China, uh, you may have 400 diaper manufacturers. I mean, some of them really small. It's, it's crazy. It's a lot. And at the same time, we're having now other places where you see consolidation. So it's, uh, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. So how, when we talk about all these changes to the actual diaper and the packaging and whatever, how has that whole manufacturing process changed to make these things? Well, they have evolved a lot, okay? Uh, the... Um, we, we have to keep up with uh, the uh, with demands of consumers, okay, which are constantly changing. And in order to do that, we have to, to adapt uh, the technology and the machinery. Uh, so it used to be simple to manage a diaper factory. Okay, we had you know, uh, 
the um, machine with a shaft, with some pulleys. Uh, now uh, we have, uh, you know, uh, digital machines with servo drives, with uh, a lot of complexity. So the the, um, the leader has to be also aware uh, about uh, the requirements of uh, the, the uh, people in charge of this technology. So we have now uh, the need for experts in every field, in electronics, okay, as well as in uh, in marketing and with the new tools to understand what uh, the people really need and, and how to uh, deliver products that uh, will be accepted by the market. So Kevin, you work with uh, manufacturing leaders in the diaper industry. You've seen some of these challenges over your career. I mean, how have those those challenges elevated your job to be even more difficult? I think the main thing for me is that um, the the frontline workers have had to change their skill set. So if you think back. 30, even 20 years ago, as Carlos said, most of the, the production lines were mechanical driven. And so you had a main drive shaft, a little bit like a car. And from that main drive shaft, you had these pulleys and belts. And, um, and then you would have the, the basic diaper and you'd have the gluing system. So each of the different materials was glued together. And uh, it was, you needed really good mechanical people. And then over the past 20 years, that's changed almost entirely now to electronic systems and ultrasonic welding and, and, and things like that. And, and all of that is electronics driven. And so what we've, had, what we've seen is that the technicians that are running the production lines have had to upskill continuously. And so there's not only has the, has the manufacturing technology changed and the raw materials have changed, but the skill set that's required to run those lines and to manage the factories has had to change as well. Carlos, you're, you're back there nodding and, and smiling as you think back, I think, to your past and how it has evolved. What, what kind of a leader do we have now? Is he, is he somebody who knows electronics? Like, who is the leader of a typical manufacturing plant now? <laughs> well, uh, I, I, I guess, uh, I mean, it is not a requirement that he knows electronics, but it is a requirement that he knows everything that he needs to know in order to manage this uh, uh, team of people with all of these uh, new skills, okay? And uh, so it, it's just not an issue of, of being uh, clever, but also to be able to, uh, to uh, bring into the operation uh, the, the best uh, people with the best know-how to, to be able to handle all those things. And uh, uh, yes, uh, it, it is, it is uh, interesting also uh, how uh, this, uh, the, the way of the leadership has also changed, uh, especially from the point of view of the need for being updated. Uh, updated to what's happening. I mean, if you keep doing, even if you are doing it at the best uh, optimal efficiency, you may not survive because you know in this industry it's evolving so quickly uh, with different raw materials, with different technologies that you have to incorporate into your processes, with different tools. Okay, we, we used to have uh, maybe a few sensors in the machine. Now we have hundreds, if not thousands, of sens sensing devices that need to be controlled, and uh, you need to have uh, uh, the, the perfect environment to avoid defects. Today, people uh, are are um, very uh, 
demanding in terms of something. I mean, if they buy a bag of diapers, they expect all of them to, to work fine and not, not to find a defect here or there. Okay? So uh, you, you need a mentality where you are uh, working in an environment with zero defects. And, and you cannot do it just by will. You have to do it with, uh, with tools. I'm talking about hardware and software that will be able to do that in real time at the amazing speeds that the machine run, which now is over a thousand diapers per minute, okay? And some machines running even faster. So it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. You, you cannot rely on your eyes anymore. It's impossible to see a diaper in a diaper machine that is moving at that speed. This is a highly competitive industry too, right? And you're talking about having uh, the ability to attract the people that you need in order to run your operation properly. Carlos, talk to me about, you know, how hard it is to find the right people on a team so that your factory can work properly. Well, uh, we have some tools that we didn't have before, okay? Before we used to rely only on, the, let's say, the, the looking from experts that will be able to find this type of profile, specific profile for the people. Now we have LinkedIn, okay, and with, with LinkedIn we have hubs where where there are thousands of diaper people, uh, you know, gathered together where you can, uh, you know, place an ad or here we have a vacancy with these needs, with these job requirements. So it's uh, it's getting probably easier than before to find these uh, specific uh, skills that are needed for for the diaper line. So yeah, I think. Uh, they, they, they need to use these tools whenever available. And also, I guess, uh, there are also another possibility, which is having the uh, expertise at a, at a much higher level, okay? Uh, what I'm, I'm saying about a true expertise that, that can be uh, hired temporarily, not necessarily full-time, like uh, the kind of jobs that, that Kevin is doing or myself when, when we are offering our services as consultants, and, uh, and and we also uh, have another uh, uh, capability, which is uh, comparing uh, with other places in the world and, be, and, and and give you a benchmark of best practices. So so you know where you stand against other uh, factories uh, all over the world, okay? And and maybe what where are your weaknesses and your strengths and uh, what needs to be done? Are you finding that people? are willing to bring in that third-party person, Carlos? Yes, some of them. In fact, the most successful factories are the ones that are being more open. There is a strange thing happening here also in this industry. There's still a group of people that believe that their machines are so unique or so that there's a need to protect them so they don't allow anyone to get into the factory. Like they build these tall walls Okay, and they say, this is what makes me successful. And in fact, closing yourself out is what makes you die because the industry is really evolving quickly. And uh, having an open mind and bringing the best that, that you can uh, find out there is really the, the best alternative. And uh, I, I, unless, let's say, you are a huge factory with tens of you know, thousands of people, uh, like uh, the big multinational companies that maybe have all of the diversity they need within their own structure, or um, medium-sized companies that do not have this level of resources, 
the best practice is to be open-minded and, uh, and find the skills you need from outside and then incorporate them in, inside. Uh, I'm not saying about creating dependencies, but learning uh, from the best and then applying that learning internally so you don't really need to have this, this uh, type of dependency. Uh, Kevin, I think that you probably have some comments that you'd like to add in there. Yeah, well, you know, Carlos is right on the money. It's, um, th th there are very few secrets. And, and whilst we're both very careful with people's confidential information, because that is critical, you know, there's certain things that are confidential or they're your IP that you need to be managing carefully. But um, at the moment, uh, a high-speed diaper line is a high-speed diaper line. And, and whichever one of the big manufacturers you buy that diaper line from, they've all got very similar servo drives. They've all got very similar operating systems. And so, you know, basically the, the, the line is a production line. The people that are really succeeding are the ones who are saying, how do I find out the best practices around the world? How do I learn how to run this in the most skilled way and get it right first time? Uh, and, and how do we get consistency coming out of here? Because it's really consistency that your quality department wants, that your finance department wants, that, you know, that certainly your shipping and logistics teams and your sales team want. So it's, it's about understanding this uh, generic, if you like, equipment. How do I run that in the most efficient way so that I can be a better supplier to my customers? I, I like to point out, I totally agree. And, and this thing about consistency is uh, interesting because uh, when, when you look at a bag of diapers, let's say you buy a bag with 40 diapers, uh, the consumer perception regarding the quality of the bag of diapers is always based on the worst diaper inside of the bag. You see, whenever you have a good diaper, you say, hey, it works, yeah, it's supposed to work, it's supposed to be fine. But when you encounter a diaper that is not working as it's supposed to, then immediately you have the impression, wow, this is really a bad quality. Even if 39 out of the 40 diapers were absolutely okay, people don't forget. They say, uh, so, so it means that unless you have a stable uh, quality in terms of what quality is supposed to be also, also defined based on the requirements of where you want and what kind of product you want to make. But what I'm saying, if, if you have a, a great product only 90% of the time and 10% is, is bad, you have bad products everywhere. So the, the, it's always like that. The, the qualification for, uh, from the point of view of consumers is based on the worst diaper you made inside that bag. So that means the worst diaper inside of the bag has to be a great diaper. And for that, you need stability. You need process control. You need to be absolutely certain that there's no defect, that you are not sending defects into the bag. Wow. And, and um, when Carlos was mentioning around the diapers coming off the production lines at a thousand a minute, it, it's hard to understand how fast that is, but it, it, it's incredibly fast. And so we have vision systems, you know, that, that have cameras that are automatically looking at every diaper and then showing it up on and automatic controls of whether these parts are put in the right place, whether there's any defects. And but that those systems only work as well as the people that are setting up the system. And so that's where you have to really be skilling up your teams to be able to run that equipment in the most effective way. And, uh, you know, I, I was in, in, a, in a different industry. I was running on a business where um, a piece of equipment had been bought from Japan and brought into, chi in, into Thailand and was running. And I went out onto the production floor and, and I was asking people, what does this button do? And they were like, 
uh, we don't know. I was like, well, what does this part do? They're like, no, we don't know. And I went back and I talked to the CEO and I said, what's going on here? And he said, well, we had a Japanese operating team bring in the Japanese equipment, translate to the Thai people through English, and it was just all very hard. So basically, they dumped the equipment and they went back to Japan, and, and the Thai people operated it the way they ran the old piece of equipment. So even though you've got this new equipment with fantastic control systems, people were not using it. And I see that in, in so many different factories where um, the, the equipment is upgraded, but the skills and the mindset of the people haven't been upgraded well enough to fully utilize that fantastic equipment. Carlos, do you have a comment there? I can see you nodding. Well, I, I, you know, one of the, of the problems that I see today has to do exactly with uh, this uh, uh, loss in translation, okay? You, you know, Chinese factories have been very successful at selling diaper equipment, especially the last 10 years. I mean, I used to laugh about, you know, the, the Chinese products oh, are so bad, the machines, I mean, we went to the shows and they could not have the machine even running in front of the people at the show in, in Geneva. Okay? That was a long time ago. Okay? Today, they have pretty good technology. But one of the complaints that I have is that they go and start up a factory in another country, okay? and, uh, and then there's a lack of really good communication. Uh, they don't speak good English, and then you end up, you have to hire a translator, and the translator speaks broken uh, language between the two languages. So it, it's <laughs> it is it is a big big challenge, but, uh, but yeah, it needs to be done. Okay, so on, unless people understand uh, the equipment they are operating, it's uh, very likely they're going to be mistakes okay? if they don't know exactly how to use the system. Mm -hmm. yeah, my my feeling is that when you put a new production piece of production equipment in and you get it qualified and and it starts to run, from then on the equipment should continually get better. And the skills of the people should be able to continually get it better. But what we see too many places in the world is that the, the team that is installing the equipment gets it running, gets it nicely set up, and then they disappear. And then the operators are left to kind of fight this equipment over the next months and gradually the results you know, deteriorate. And it's typically when they've gone a long way down that you know, the experts get called in and, and say, you know, what the hell do we do now? And so the, the key is really right at that beginning point to make sure that transfer of technology and capabilities continues to get better results after the equipment has been installed and the, the leadership team has, has moved away. And, and there's also an issue with the, with the culture, the local culture. In, in some places, they still believe that uh, they have to uh, reward the, the best operator of a team. I mean, let's say you have a machine with four teams, and then this, this guy is, is making more diapers per hour, okay? So they stop the lines and they say, you know, yeah, this is the right guy. And what happens is you are promoting actually the lack of stability on the machines and people start keeping their own secrets on how to really tweak the machine. So they have more production. So the people come here and the owner of the company comes and give me a, a reward, a monetary reward instead of really learning how he's doing it so, so he's more stable and getting more production and then making sure that everyone else is running like that. This is a lot to do also with the, in the Middle East and the Latin American culture that we still uh, like to have you know, the, the, the bright star, okay? the, really the guy that is the star, the hero. And I've seen places where they stop the whole factory okay, 
Uh, and then, really, bravo, bravo. And you know, this guy operator, he starts walking like in the clouds, like, he, like he's Superman, okay? How are you going to get stable production under those conditions? Yes, no it's, reward, it's rewarding the firefighter, isn't it? And so, you know, the guy who comes in and puts the fires out, you're rewarding him rather than the person that's preventing the fires. And we've we found out that, you know, from, from great statistics, that the way you get the very best results is by getting consistency. And so uh, rather than these ups and downs and then a very long run and then ups and downs and a very long run, you've got to have consistent runs and that's when your quality, your safety, your output are all protected. So how do you guys change the mindset of the leadership team in those countries that are rewarding that one guy who's getting the big hand clap that he's doing so great? How do you, how do you change that leader's mindset to say, you can't reward just the one guy, you gotta reward the team so that everybody is pushing in the same direction and getting that result? Money is a great tool. When you show them how you can improve the economics of the factory, improve your margins, and reduce the complaints, makes a lot of sense. So you start making the leaders out of that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, and the way for us is always you start off with a pilot project. So it's difficult to say, well, look, you're going to go in and, and fix your whole factory um, because that takes a huge leap of faith. But if you can say, well, look, let's, let's take one line to start with and let's show you how running it in a different way with a different operating strategy and having your frontline employees using the data in a different way, all of a sudden you can show that even after a couple of months, you're starting to get significantly better results. That builds up the capability of that first lead team. And then that allows them to have the confidence and the results behind it to say, okay, yeah, let's roll this out for the rest of the factory step by step. And it's a good blend between the skills and the people, uh, the training, and also the technology. Because I think, you know, there's things you cannot see just from your naked eye, you know, even with the automatic vision system. The automatic vision system looks at what is outside, okay? But it, it cannot see what happens inside when you cannot see it optically. So, but there are uh, tools that you can implement. And uh, for example, you want to know the, uh, the supraabsorbent is well blended and it's not concentrated in the hard spot, we call them hard spots. Well, th there's equipment for that, that can, can look what's happening inside of the diaper and making sure that there is a good blending, a homogeneous blending, and avoiding these kind of, of defects that are impossible to see, even with cameras and with uh, the, the best automatic inspection system. So you, you have to be looking also at the best tools that are being installed, and then use those the information from the tools as, as Kevin was saying, and 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 then improve your process control with methodology, with protocols, with better practices. Well, you mentioned the sorry, Kevin. I interrupted you. Did you want to add something there? I was just going to ask Carlos for his perspective on types of uh, factories and business because. You, you, you mentioned the multinationals before, and then we have kind of the regional players, and, and then we have some that are big family-type companies. Um, do you see a difference in the behaviors or the management techniques of people from, let's say, the regional companies to the, the more family-owned businesses? Uh, uh, yes, I, I see a little, uh, uh, well, some, not little, actually, some differences uh, between the way how they behave, especially the way how they uh, handle the local culture. Uh, and uh, they, they, there's uh, 
very successful small companies. Let's not think that only the multinationals can survive. In fact, I've seen the most creative solutions made by the smaller, uh, you know, diaper factories, even those that are family owned. And, and they, they are the ones that are taking sometimes the risks and uh, implementing things. And, and you see today that some of these, uh, the products made by these smaller companies are making such a, a noise that uh, bigger multinational companies are start, starting to follow them or clone them, especially in, in very specific market niches, not, not uh, all of them. But on, on some of them, yes, they, they are taking uh, uh, the next step in, in regards maybe with uh, um, more sustainable solutions or using different types of raw materials, which are not being used by the multinationals of the state or they are starting to use them, but not at the scale where some of these other uh, uh, smaller factories are doing. Uh, but yes, and the, the other thing has to do also with uh, uh, the way how they handle the budgets and, or, or the way how they perceive their own themselves. Uh, I think this is one of the, of the biggest problems. With the, with the smaller companies, especially those that are uh, closing themselves, they, they are never aware how good they really are unless they, they are comparing with the outside world. And, and I've seen some factories, uh, not long ago, I was dealing with one in the Middle East. They, they were running uh, an efficiency so low that uh, when you compare the runtime efficiency with the conversion efficiency and the speed efficiency, Together, multiplying the three, we, go, we get what we call the global efficiency. I mean, the really representative global efficiency, they were running less than 40% global efficiency. I don't know how you can survive other than good hopes that maybe in the future it's going to get better, and, and that doesn't last long. Wow. Yeah, it's the agility of those smaller companies, right? They're, they're more willing to take some risks, try some new things, and and... Whereas the, the global companies, I think they're always having to be a little bit more careful and make sure that they've got a solution that can roll out from, for every country. What issues do you both see that are really challenging leadership right now? I mean, we have the COVID situation, um, but beyond that, or maybe even including that, what are some of the really big leadership challenges that people in the diaper industry are, are facing right now? Well, one of them we are looking at right now is with the baby diaper industry, okay? Um, unless you're willing to find other markets, I think it's going to be tough. Uh, with the pandemic, uh, people have been losing their jobs or they are more concerned about the future. And especially younger couples with millennials are deciding not to have babies. So we are going to be looking at lowest birth rates in in the history of humankind, to, to make it more, uh, more urgently or more critical. From, from that sense, it means that 2020 and 2021 are going to be really very bad years for, for baby diapers. Uh, we've been also very lucky because of the inverted pyramid of population growth that in some other places, uh, adult diapers are going to become the saviors in, in, in the sense that uh, you don't require a lot of growth with baby diapers, uh, with, uh, sorry, with uh, the adult diapers to compensate the reduction of sales of baby diapers. Just because of the uh, size of them, okay? And uh, so in terms of the total consumption of raw material, uh, one adult diaper maybe is 
sustain like three or, or three and a half baby diapers, okay? So, uh, but we have to be aware. That's going to be a great challenge because if, if you were struggling right now or last year uh, and you are not aware of what's going to happen with sales, and, and I'm not talking just about developed countries, but basically everywhere, where you had a country where it was growing with one or two uh, percentage growth uh, per year, now it's going to go down maybe to half a point or one percent point less. And those countries that were actually break-even, they're going to be with negative growth. Uh, and this is because of the pandemic directly. So uh, until we wait for a vaccine or final solution, we have to be dealing with a shrinking market. And that's a big challenge for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how are they addressing that challenge, Carlos? Do they even see well, it? They see it coming. I, I think they they see it coming. They they have to be preparing themselves financially to to you know just pass the wave until we have a better uh, better one. Uh, let let this uh, ride it out. Let's put it that way. And and maybe focusing more into uh, developing or R and D projects and taking advantage maybe of some extra capacity that you have in the line. For example, uh, now I'm not running at 95% uh, capacity. Now I'm running 80% capacity. Well, take advantage of that. This is the time to really uh, propose the, the next uh, uh, generation of diapers. That would be one choice. Another one is, okay, you know that the other side of the business, the adult incontinence business is growing. Well, maybe you can do something about that and, and uh, improve your sales in adult diapers. Kevin, are you seeing the companies that you're working with thinking about that moving into adult diapers and, and considering the the declining birth rate yeah there's two sides that i'm seeing one is that there is still an untapped market on the very low end um that is there's not you know there's a lot of people that are not can't afford still to use baby diapers and so there is some kind of innovation that's required to be able to have a lower cost product to the market for baby diapers but um, I would say well, I, a large number of the companies that I've worked with that are making sanitary napkins and, and baby diapers are now looking at the adult incontinence market. And uh, the good thing about that is that the awareness around adult incontinence is, is, is growing very fast. Um, it's a lot less of a taboo subject than it was before. And uh, as people feel more comfortable talking about it, um, companies are feeling more comfortable that they can market to that. Um, and there's a lot more people being looked after because of it, because there's a huge need for this product, but it's always been a little bit of a taboo or a difficult subject to talk about. The more we get that out in the open, I think the more there is an opportunity to help a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I'm just keeping an eye on the clock here, but uh, I wanted to ask you a couple of, of final questions. And Carlos, I'd really like some key takeaways from you at this point in time. We're, we're living in a kind of a different situation. You've sort of laid out some of the challenges that are out there. What are some key takeaways that you have for uh, diaper industry leaders right now? Well, uh, if you look at what's happening with the environment because of COVID, we have a more cleaner air we have less pollution and i think people are going to be demanding that for the future so uh, i think uh, these uh, um, alternatives for uh, post-consumer uh, the handling of the diapers after they're being used this is very important to, to deal with it and uh, either we go in the direction of diaper recycling like uh, some of the big multinationals have been proposing with unitarm Procter and Gamble, especially, and or, 
more industrial compulsion, uh, which uh, will be, and I think we did talk about that in a previous chat. Yes, we right? did. And, and that, now I am proposing another alternative, which I think will probably be better, which is a hybrid between vector recycling for some components and uh, industrial composting for another. So we have aerobic composting for the uh, internal parts of the diaper, where we can incorporate, you know, the the the, the pulp, the uh, superabsorbent, and maybe the paper. And then in another completely different process, we have the the plastics, where where we are. Uh, dealing with recycling then the synthetic material, but uh, we need to do uh, something fast and quickly, or consumers are going to demand it. Or if we don't provide a solution, they may end up shifting to the old ways, and we don't want to go into using cloth diapers, which are terrible from the point of view of uh, comfort for the user. And it only takes for someone to wear a cloth diaper to realize how bad they are if you are using them on yourself. I, as I challenge people back then when I talked with you about this topic. Okay, Kevin, uh, just a quick final key thought from you. Yeah, for me, you know, I always go back to the frontline employees. And, and so uh, I think the more we can upskill our frontline employees to, to make the, the diapers in the most effective way with the lowest scrap levels. Um, that, that's critical from an efficiency of a manufacturing point of view. And, and as we get the manufacturing more, more efficient, there's less waste anyway. Um, so for me, it's how do we make sure that our leaders understand the complexity of running these diaper operations and spend the right amount of time building the capability of the people. Okay. Uh, that's all the time we have right now. Carlos, always a pleasure to talk to you and you always bring Thank some you. great insights. And it was great to have Kevin on the call too, so we could really get some both sides of the industry and have a really good chat about it. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. You're welcome. Carlos Riche is a diaper industry consultant. He's also the founder of the Disposable Diaper Network. And Kevin Snook is a manufacturing leadership consultant. And he's the author of the best-selling book, Make It Right, Five Steps to Align Your Manufacturing Business from the Front Line to the Bottom Line. You can find it on Amazon. And that's our show this week. Please check out our Twitter and LinkedIn feeds. You can find them on our podcast page. And you can also share and subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and we're on YouTube where you'll be able to see this video. That is the Make It Right podcast. I'm Janet Eastman. Thanks for joining us.